Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everyone, Patience here. Just popping in to let you know that you are about to listen to part two of episode 67, where we discuss all things blackity, black, black, and world. If you're really curious to know more about the election, election 44, and all things major party platforms, tune in to part one. Thank you always, always for listening. Bye. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution and an election. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear as we keep you informed about Election 44, please subscribe. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of August 29th, including... All party platforms are out, for the most part. We'll dive into the liberal, conservative, and NDP plans on four key issues that are important to Black and allied millennials. The pandemic improves reading rates among the TDSB's Black student population? Oh, I wonder why. Hurricane Ida does serious damage. And Texas gets away with a crazy new abortion ban. Plus... Joining us today is friend of the drip, Christelle Francois, president of the Black Chamber of Commerce and founder of Untold and Co Agency, a public relations, digital marketing, and brand partnerships agency based in Toronto. Christelle is a bilingual executive leader and entrepreneur who has the pulse on the leaders of business, innovation, and advocacy. She has extensive experience as a strategy consultant, where she specialized in developing revenue models and implementing growth metric systems for various organizations. After seven years of private consulting, she launched Untold & Co. Agency, where she and her team service an array of clients in securing brand and government partnerships and executing 360 integrated digital campaigns. She most recently co-organized the 2020 Lobby Day Initiative with Canadian federal ministers. As a daughter of Haiti, she's passionate about civic engagement, innovation, and entrepreneurship, and we're so pleased to have her join us today. Bienvenue, Christelle, ça va? Oui, ça va bien. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Excellent. Well, we, you know, we good over here, so we're ready to set it off. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Moving on to Blackity Black Black News this week, uh, we have two major stories. First comes from the TDSB. New TDSB data shows that the pandemic has greatly improved the reading levels of Black youth. Unfortunately, Black students still have the lowest literacy rate in the TDSB. We also know that racism, particularly anti-Black racism, is felt as early as age three. So we know that racism exists in elementary school. That, that, that's basically what I want to say. So racism mm-hmm. exists in elementary school. Our three and four-year-olds are feeling it. And 
the thing that we were less sure of was, you know, it is it better or worse? Is racism better or worse in the digital learning environment? Mm. And clearly it's, I mean, it's better. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not that racism is better, but students are, are, are better learners, have a better learning environment uh, when they are learning digitally. Yeah. Black students in the TDSBs, elementary schools, improved in reading at twice the rate of white students and eight times the rate of their East Asian peers, with 66% of Black students reading at level three, 8% higher than they were in January of 2019. And this is all amidst concerns about learning gaps due to disrupted learning, right? We've, we've been hearing that nonstop. Oh, kids aren't going to be able to read. Kids aren't going to be able to keep up with math levels because of the pandemic. And out of the gate, Black mm-hmm. students are killing it. Killing it with all yeah. this disrupted learning. Because you know what actually was disrupted, fam? The Racism. Racism. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you, you, can't, you can't suspend me anymore. You can't exactly. pull me out of class and make me sit in the hallway anymore. Yes. You can't, you know, laugh at me while I'm while I'm trying to learn how to read, fam. And I'm sure mm-hmm. even more than that, parents at home are are supporting their kids. And we can talk about the issues of that, you know, and taking away from work and stuff like that. But I'm sure parents at home are taking on more of a responsibility with teaching their, their children how to read. And so mm-hmm. this has been an amazing thing for our community, which is 100%. crazy, yeah. fam. It's crazy. We're living through a, a terrifying, tragic global pandemic, but black kids can read? <laughs> what? Yeah. Nuts. Yeah, Karen Murray, she runs the TDSB's uh, Center of Excellence for Black Student Achievement, and she's actually, I think, the at least co-author of the report that Patience was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, what we're talking about here is, you know, this report shows what the reality is, right? When kids, when black kids don't have to deal with racism, they thrive. And so what the TDSB is looking at is how do we institutionalize what we've learned so that black kids can thrive further? I'm very excited to see how that manifests in the uh, the months and years to come. Crystal, did you want to jump in on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's... It's so telling, right? Like it's it it speaks volumes, and and we we know that racism exists in, in elementary schools. I mean, it, it's it's just a reality. And so to see these, like, what's more stunning to me is kind of how early we're able to kind of see this data and what that what does that mean in a couple of years down down the line, right? In terms of how much this continues to increase, um, what other areas of learning are are our kids performing well? Now we're seeing that it's in reading. Does that also is that also reflected in math and other areas as well? So I'm really yeah, curious to see how right exactly. And so I'm really curious to see how this kind of sustains. But it speaks volumes to how kids being in an environment where they feel safe where they're not dealing with these microaggressions um, allows them to to thrive, right? And I think all of us can can speak to, you know, when you are in school and oftentimes either being a minority student, you know, you are sometimes treated differently, right? Absolutely. Whether it's challenged, being graded more difficultly compared to your peers. So this really helps kind of level out the playing field and we, we kind of see what happens when, when, when it is leveled out and, and who shines through. Indeed. The rest of our stories for this week are actually uh, American stories. So first up, um, the former DA in the Ahmad Arbery case has been indicted for showing favor to the racist murder combo uh, of Travis and 
Travis or Trevor? Anyway, one of those TR names. Uh, Tra- <laughs> Travis, <laughs> Travis and Greg McMichael. Uh, so her name is Jacqueline Lee Johnson. She has been accused of violation of oath of a public officer and obstruction of a police officer in her handling of the case. I'm not sure if everyone remembers what happened with Ahmad Arbery, but he was jogging through uh, a neighborhood and was pursued by mm-hmm. Travis and Greg, father-son combo, and uh, their friend, some other dusty-looking guy, mm-hmm. and killed him. They murdered him in cold blood, mm-hmm. and police officers found them, caught them literally red-handed after they had killed Ahmad Arbery. And so you might be wondering what happened. D.A. Johnson was originally assigned the case, and she recused herself, stating that she was too close to the case. Johnson had worked with McMichael, a.k.a. Daddy Murderer, for 30 years. So she recommended another DA, DA Barnhill, to the case. Barnhill also had a conflict of interest. But anyway, he kept the case for a bit, but had numerous private conversations with the suspects and the DA. So, okay. Messy. Very, very messy. Both DAs, so the old DA Johnson and the new DA Barnhill, felt that the McMichaels were justified and had every reason to do what they what they did. Within a day of Arbery's death, Barnhill said that he had reviewed the evidence, met with the police, and told them that he saw no reason to arrest any of the three men involved. Yes. Oh my God. It is only in April, after pressure from Ahmad's mother, that Barnhill wrote that he believed it best for him to step aside. But even then, he has the gall to defend the suspects, saying that Georgia law protected their right to perform a, quote, citizen's arrest, end quote, and then use deadly force in self-defense after Ahmad initiated the fight. Which we know, because the dusty third man involved in this, recorded the whole thing. So we know after watching video footage that Ahmad did not start anything. He did not initiate anything. And that this was a clear witch hunt. The lies. Literally. Mm-hmm. For the record, former DA Johnson, after all of this has happened, is still denying any wrongdoing. And DA Barnhill has not been indicted at all for his involvement in this mess. Police have also drawn scrutiny for their handling of the case, which is, again, not surprising since Daddy Murderer used to work as a police officer as part of their team. The officers did not move to arrest the McMichaels after catching them red-handed at the scene of the shooting. And according to body camera footage, they didn't even call for EMS after they saw Ahmaud Arbery gasping for air on the floor. They didn't even check for a pulse. Our Black community advocates and the Arbery family lawyer, Ben Crump and co., have already shared some words on this issue, stating on Friday that, quote, former DA Johnson may not have pulled the trigger on the day that Ahmaud was murdered, but she played a starring role in the cover-up, end quote. No question. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. I mean, th- this, this stuff keeps happening. I'm relieved that D.A. Johnson has been indicted, mm-hmm. but this is another example of how systemic, institutionalized yeah. um, anti-Black racism is. Ahmaud Arbery was literally running. Yeah. Like, he was jogging. Like, and these people killed him in cold blood and were caught red-handed video footage to match and still this mess yeah yeah it's really important to like to to hear how they describe 
the situation as it occurred from their lens and how how they use the laws they created mm-hmm. to mask the real violence that they really are trying to inflict on on black people that just yeah. that's just the reality so what i'm trying to point out here is you really have to pay, like you have to listen to what they say mm-hmm. and and see what they're talking about when they say it because the words don't match Right, patients right. you were talking about just now, uh, uh, the, the the father and son dumbass duo were within their rights to for, for standing their ground under under Georgia Georgia law. You're right. Like, how do you see that from the video? Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what happened. So you have to. We have to know how to decode their white supremacist language. Right. 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 Hundred percent, and you know, again, this happening again in Georgia, right? Just historically, mm-hmm. just known for these types of policies and laws that it, it just doesn't make sense when you look at the footage and when you look at the actual laws and the policies. It still makes no sense, right? Yeah. For them to call this a citizen's right. arrest, okay? Like what? How? For, for what? <laughs> and like. You didn't arrest the man. You killed, you killed him. him. What are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. And you filmed it. Like, it's, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. And it's just really frustrating to kind of see this consist, like continuing to happen yeah. and to see that there are these laws that they are able to, you know, work around. And also the fact that it's happening in, you know, some of these towns where like the father was a previous officer and the DAs somehow both had a conflict of interest. I mean, like, what are the parameters there to really help have some, some type of justice? I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But... Um, moving on to news from the world. I think by now we've all heard about the ISIS suicide bombing that left 13 U.S. service members, 10 of whom were U.S. Marines, mm. dead at Kabul airport during um, the U.S. evacuation. Yes. The last time we reported on this issue, we spoke about the Taliban, right? Mm. But, you know, enter ISIS from stage left. Yeah. Like, yo. So, like, what is widely being reported is that you know, 13 Americans or 13 U.S. service members died. What we heard less about was that 90 or so deaths were of of Afghan nationals. So no one's really talking as much about Mm -hmm. that. The attack, ironically, marked the deadliest day for the U.S. military in Afghanistan since 2011. Oh my gosh. And came just five days before Biden administration's deadline for the complete military withdrawal from that country. The military does expect more attacks. Yeah. But again, I'm just going to say it again. I said it in our last um, reporting of this issue, but this is what happens when there's a power vacuum. Um, you see Taliban trying to, to to hold on to control. You see ISIS trying to enter and, and hold some control. And now we're seeing a lot of America's allies who are also planning to evacuate uh, pull back a little bit until the situation with the airport has been resolved. So... Again, uh, several of America's um, allies, including Canada, said that they were halting evacuation flights from Afghanistan, leaving behind citizens and thousands of of Afghans who had been cleared for exit from Kabul. Any comments on on this story, guys? Yeah, if if you don't mind, I'll jump in. Um, 
it's really interesting to note. I mean, you mentioned the power of vacuum patients, but um, a lot of people may not recognize this. But in this situation, the Taliban is our friend. Yeah. Um, Wild. Patients, you, you brought up ISIS. Attack. ISIS-K is what this new group is called. They're called ISIS-K. And they are a spinoff of ISIS, which believes mm-hmm. that the Taliban is... They're too soft, man. They're too baby food. You feel me, fam? So like, oh, okay. And so, and so, quite literally, the bombing that happened. I mean, you mentioned it. ISIS K was responsible for it, but the Taliban is trying to rid the country of ISIS K too. And so, what we've been hearing, um, particularly from U.S. reporting, I, I focus on a lot of um, defense issues just because of my background. Um, what we've been hearing is that the U.S. administration, certain Western administrations have kind of been working with the Taliban through back channels, appreciating that if they don't, essentially the problem that we once had with Al-Qaeda and that we once had with ISIL, we're essentially going to have that again with ISIS-K. And so we have to find a way to cooperate to stop that from happening. How did we get here? <laughs> How did we get here? <laughs> Literally. Yeah, no, quickly. I think for me, the, the key, I mean, first off, I think it's it's obviously like a tragic, um, really tragic situation. But my question, the thing that always comes to mind for me is like, okay, with now the insertion of ISIS-K, it's like, who is who is funding them? Right. Like who, my thing, I always like to follow, you know, follow, follow the trail of who is funding what. But if we right, it's like who is funding ISIS-K for them to be in this position, to have this type of artillery um, power and be able to kind of oversee, you know, in, in this aggressive way in such a short amount of time, given like what we just saw with, with the Taliban. And most recently, we're also hearing about, you know, other airplanes. I think one of the yep. remaining last flights that was supposed to kind of fly out, I think it was yesterday or the day before, also being halted. And now we're also hearing that they are now going literally door to door and seizing any American passports as well. So the whole situation is is extremely tragic, but I'm really curious to kind of see what what's really happening on the back end side in terms of who is funding what because i think that'll illuminate a lot of a lot of things that we might kind of see in the future that, <laughs> it's funny so on that note i like i think we know that pakistan generally has been supporting the taliban i, I don't know yeah. I, I would assume that there's some elements of support coming from pakistan for isis k as well i would assume there are some elements of support mm-hmm. for isis k from iran as well but i don't know i, I, I really don't know mm-hmm. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, to just to kind of go from bad to maybe worse or, or worse yeah. is, you know, Hurricane Ida. And I, th- I think that Hurricane Ida has Americans taking climate change more, a little bit more seriously. You'd hope. 
this yeah this category for hurricane left new orleans and the, the general kind of southern louisiana area without power that hurricane tore through nola just just over a week ago and today uh, on september 6th there's still 600,000 people without power Oof. hurricane ida is the second most intense hurricane to hit nola um second only to hurricane katrina and the estimated damage of the storm is around 15 billion dollars oh the hurricane killed a confirmed 13 people in louisiana but then went on to take at least another 50 lives in new york and new jersey yeah i saw those i i was surprised to see that a a majority of the deaths in new york new jersey were um people who experienced flooding in their basement apartments Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you live in a basement apartment right now and you aren't in a legal in a legal unit where you can get out of very quickly where there are you know multiple um egress yeah yeah, egress points then you could probably reconsider that because climate change is not playing with us we're gonna get beat up okay mother nature is not playing with us anymore yeah 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 to to your point like i i watched one video out of new jersey i don't know if you guys you both saw it but uh, the, 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 the homeowner or the basement dweller had a camera in the basement and it was just facing a random wall. And what happened within split seconds, the entire wall caved in with water. Yep. Oh my God. I mean, you, you can't, I mean, they were, they were already on their feet and they were screaming and moving, but like, let's say you were sleeping. You can't escape that. And that's exactly yep. what happened yeah. to many people. They literally died in their sleep because the water came that quickly. Mm-hmm. climate change ain't no joke man yeah no joke and the thing and the, and the crazy part is like we climate change they they've been telling us like which specific states and cities and areas are going yeah. to be affected you know earlier than than others and and what that looks like yeah. and we're seeing that happen new york has repeatedly kind of been on those lists in terms of hey <laughs> flooding you know is, is going to be an issue here right and and especially with how like structurally how the city is built as well it's, it's kind of um it's concerning. And I mean, hopefully, you know, patients to your point, it is, you know, ha- having them wake up, um, you know, on the U.S. side. But I-, I really just hope that because there's a lot there's also a lot of so much misinformation online when it does come to climate change. And we see that folks yeah. are just, you know, misinformed sometimes when it, when it comes to that. So hopefully this was this is another wake up call. Right. And unfortunately it's it's hitting our communities again right especially in new orleans like that is just heartbreaking for them to have to go through something like this again um but i think as this continues to target and hit other communities and areas as well we might see faster reactions i just want to point out as well we are uh, on track to suppress um 1.5 degrees of uh warming of the planet uh, which is what our target our paris accord targets were um, I think right now we're on track to hit 1.7. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've already said that things are going to get worse. The good news is that we do have the capacity over this century. <laughs> we do have the capacity to get the global temperature to below 1.5 degrees again. But uh, as of right now, we're going to surpass that. Things are going to get worse, man. 
uh, and I think it would be remiss on on, on us. Curtis and I not to, to to speak to you, Christelle, about earthquakes, right? Mm-hmm. And and the earthquake that just hit yeah. Haiti, mm-hmm. and and these are all obviously Haiti is is pretty unique, you know, just in terms of placement and tectonic plates and stuff like that. Yes. But all of these things work together in concert, right? And all of these things are are devastating for 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 our community, for for Black and Brown people. Mm-hmm. So, any thoughts on how that's going? Any insights you can offer us for how Haiti is recovering from? The, the massive earthquake that it just um, experienced? Yeah, no, thank you so much for, for asking. I mean, the reality is things are, in, it's in major disarray right now in the country, if, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. You know, it's because also you have to think about the compound effect from us having our president being assassinated not too long ago. I, I wasn't going to ask about that, right? but since you brought it yes. up, yes. Yes, so with him being recently assassinated, so you can only imagine the type of destabilization that that causes amongst a population right. once your leader is assassinated in cold blood in that way. Um, and then for, for the earthquake to happen. So there's a lot of, it's just a lot of chaos, right? And so what what we're hearing from the, pe- the people on the ground and, and even me, I still have a lot of family back home, um, you know, the cost of goods are just skyrocketing, right? And everything is just becoming much more expensive. Mm. There's a lot, because of there's that lack of stability and, and, and security, we all know what happens whenever you're kind of in an impoverished area. And if there's, there's poverty, extreme poverty, there's destabilization, then violence shoots up, right? Yes. Because there's kind of this sense of scarcity and, and it's just, it's it's really alarming, right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, that's, that's currently what the reality is. The, on the positive side, we are seeing a lot of international support as we've seen in the past. And I think this time what's kind of different and has been refreshing to see is a lot of the diaspora community and the locals kind of being candid about which organizations are actually helping. And so you kind of saw this time around kind of this resistance against, you know, funding organizations such as Red Cross, because we've seen them historically also not necessarily, you know, allocate, you know, really kind of seen with some of those funding really be fully allocated to the community there. And so this time around, we've seen a lot more local grassroots organization partnering up with other, you know, entities, whether they're in Canada or in the U.S., to really help bring that support directly to the people. And so that's kind of been a, a great win. And I hope that that's something that kind of sustains as we move forward as well. But yeah, I mean, I honestly keep keep us in, in, in your prayers. And, and if there's also any local organizations that you get are in connection with, then I would highly just encourage you to support in, in, in that way. Always, always. Yeah. Our last story this week has been getting a, a lot of traction mm-hmm. internationally. So not, not even just in North America, but kind of all over the world. The state of Texas has a new law banning abortion and anyone who has anything to do with it. Mm. Yeah. So this law encourages those who witness abortions, hear about abortions, or even suspect abortions to report that abortion to authorities. We know that laws like these disproportionately affect those who are poorer and have less options. Mm -hmm. And it takes pro-life to a whole new level. And this level is known as Mm anti-choice. Since this law is largely considered non-constitutional, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, sought to get the Supreme Court to block its passing. 
And unfortunately, you know, Trump did a really good job of stacking the Supreme Court. Yep. Yep. So in a 5-4 vote, the highest court in the country, the Supreme Court of the United States, denied the emergency request to block this new legislation. This is particularly violent as we still have the precedent setting Roe v. Wade in effect. So how can you have Roe v. Wade, which basically allows for abortion across the country to be still in effect, you know, at the Supreme Court, yet you're allowing the Texas law to take shape. But again, this is what happens when you have a conservative leading SCOTUS that basically wants to rewrite all of, of the laws that you've had in your country. Take us into the future to 1901. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Biden said that his administration will launch a, quote, whole of government effort to respond to this decision and look at, quote, what steps the federal government can take to ensure that women in Texas have access to safe and legal abortions as protected by Roe v. Wade. But again, like this is because of the, the, the division of powers in the United States, Biden has very little that he can kind of do in this realm right now. That's right. That's right. Very, very little. I mean, the he can, you know, reassure the, the, the population. He can try and, and push that. But the reality is the fact that it was denied by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. I mean, once, you know, when you really kind of look at the legal structure of the U.S. I mean, it, it it leaves me speechless, right? It's just like how how does this? I mean, we know how how this happened. To your point, patients around um, making sure that you know when when Trump really really stacked up the, the the Supreme Court House. But I mean, the fact that it was denied for some for this type of law for women's our bodies, our rights. Second I mean, state. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, and. You know, and it's like, what does this mean? I mean, forget whether you are poor, whether it's, you know, unplanned or planned. You know, women, what if you're raped? I mean, it's just, and the fact that you're saying that it's up to six weeks. I mean, most women don't even know that they're pregnant at six weeks, right? It's just, so I I think, you know, it's, I I don't know what Biden can, can actually do you know, to do this, I think it's, it's actually, you know, maybe additional international um, pressure can help because this is such a, you know, ludicrous type of policy. But I also recently saw that um, I think there was a website up that was the one, I don't know if you guys heard about this, but it was a website that was there for where people can actually, um, I guess, snitch mm-hmm, <laughs> on people yeah. who, are, who are doing this. And I think GoDaddy fully shut it down and said, like, they're not supporting that. So that's oh. uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's been everyone's kind of really rallying around this. So I'm curious to see how this kind of you know pans out. But um, yeah, what I heard was that Lyft, um, Uber's rival, mm. Lyft has 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 said that anyone who needs a Lyft to to get an abortion or oh, wow. know, to, that that Lyft drivers cannot be prosecuted for taking someone to an abortion clinic or picking up someone from an abortion clinic. Um, so yeah, I guess corporations are, are doing what they need to do to do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's maybe what it'll take. I just wanted to point out the parallels between how U.S. conservatives and Canadian conservatives and quite frankly, just Western conservatives, all conservatives, how they approach, uh, these kinds of social issues. Um, we're talking about a snitch line for abortion in Texas. Uh, do we remember that we were almost going to have a snitch line in 2015 to report barbaric cultural practices? 
Of course, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yes. It was the yes. exact same format, the exact same format. And I, I'm not, that's not hyperbole. Um, there is a organization called the International Democratic Union. This is a organization of right-leaning or right-wing governments, uh, of which both the GOP in the U.S. and the Conservative Party of Canada are a part of. And so what this organization does is it streamlines legislation to apply to different countries depending on the conservative flavor of government. Mm. It's important to know these things. It is. Because the same thing is likely going to happen here, especially if Aaron O'Toole becomes prime minister. That's right. But like, like is, there are other things to, to focus on. Like, why? Why? Yeah. You know, like we're still going through this pandemic. Like, why are we? The simple answer is that's just what they care about. I mean, we care about child care. We care about black issues. They care about white supremacy. Like, it's just. Right. You know, that's that, that's the simplest answer I have. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I don't know if you guys also just kind of to loop loop in on that last point, but I don't know if you guys also recently saw the study that officially kind of reported how in the next, I think within the next decade or so, um, Caucasians will be the minority in the U.S. as well. Yes. Um, yes. So who knows how, what kind of fear that, that that's causing amongst the, their community and specifically the conservative uh, party. I remember reading that and, and reading, you know, some of the feedback through those different sources. So that was pretty interesting as well, because we know that American ideals and U.S. ideals is really to preserve, quote unquote, American values. And and what what does that really mean, right? And white supremacy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, right. When you decode it, that that's exactly what it is. Jumping to questions for the audience. Do you both know about the the fourteen words? said by white supremacists? No. No. So the 14 words, um, uh, it, it's, it's a reference to the most popular white supremacist slogan in the world. The slogan mm-hmm. is, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. Again, speaking mm-hmm. directly to what you were just talking about, Christelle. Mm-hmm. Um, what I wanted to bring up, especially uh, in relation to all we've been talking about today, but in relation to the conservatives and why they tend to do what they do, it's really important to see the parallels between these 14 words. And again, they're just, they're called the 14 words. You can always refer to it by that. And the conservative platforms slogan. Again, I'll read the 14 words. We must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. What does a conservative platform say today? They want to secure the future. Mm. That is their slogan. That is scary. And that is petrifying. That, we know that 40% of their party is actually white supremacists. We know that yeah. 40% of their party actually does support Trumpism and think that mm-hmm. the election was stolen from him. We know that at least 40% of that party is terrified of what you just mentioned, Christelle, that in the United States and, of course, across the West, yep. white people are losing their status. Mm-hmm. So is the question, are you petrified or like, what, what's the question for the audience? I mean, the question for me is, do, do you think that there's a true similarity there? You've just listened to episode 67 of The Drip. Christelle, it was so fun having you with us today. You'll join us again soon, right? Of course. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's been pleasure being on, on your platform. I love what you guys are, are doing. Love it, love it, love it. And thanks to you, our listeners, for continuing to rock with us. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis to cover Election 44. 
so subscribe to stay up to date. You can also keep up with us on our Instagram and through our Patreon pages dedicated to the podcast. Follow us or support us at The Drip TO. And you know, we love our many non-BIPOC listeners, our allies, our loves, but a message specifically to our Black listeners. We hope that you know that this is a safe space made, created, produced for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Toronto's very own Be On Location for the sounds you're hearing now. You can find more tracks from him wherever you get your music. See y'all next time. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.